What's up, everyone? This is Cortland from ndhackers.com, where I find the founders behind profitable internet businesses, and I try to get a sense of how they got started and what's going on behind the scenes, so that the rest of us can learn and build our own successful businesses. Today, I'm talking to Jesse Patel. He's the founder of a really cool productivity app, one of my favorites, called Workflowy. I just logged into Workflowy today, and it said that my account is 365 weeks old, which means that I joined in November of 2010, right after they launched. So it's not often I get to say that I was one of the first users of a product, and even less often that I get to talk to one of the founders of that product. So I'm super excited to be talking to you, Jesse. Thanks for joining. Yeah, totally happy to be here. So there isn't much written online that I could find about the origin of Workflowy, just a few articles here and there. But from what I could find, it seems like it's intertwined with you teaching yourself how to code. So maybe a good place to start is how did you teach yourself to code and why was that something you even wanted to do? So I think, I mean, I taught myself to code. I kind of been teaching myself to code for a long time. Like, like I took some computer science classes, just like one and a half at Stanford when I was there. And it was like probably the thing I enjoyed the most, but I just was, you know, it was like the first time I'd done it, whereas everyone had been doing it since they were 12. And so I was like, okay, I'm not going to do this. From my first exposure, like I liked the process of running into confusing things and having to fix them. Like some people don't like that. For me, it was like, okay, this is just a fun puzzle, and I really love to build things. Like I, so I was trained as a product designer, and building stuff is super fun. And then so coding lets you just build stuff like yourself that other people can use in a really, really rewarding way. You know, so that that was kind of my motivation in general. So I'd been kind of like fiddling with it for years. And then at some point I had stuff I really wanted to build. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to start building this. And actually that was workflow. It was like my teaching myself to code project. Because <laughs> um, <laughs> I was like, okay, this is, everyone thinks they can make a better like note taking and task app. So I'll just waste that idea on learning to code because it's, you know, obviously it's not actually a good idea. Um, <laughs> like, so, and, you know, everyone thinks they can do it better, but why would I be any different? So I'll just, like, use this delusion to, like, learn how to program. Do you want me to talk a little bit about, like, the motivation for the product itself or just the coding? Uh, I think it would be good to hear about the motivation for the product itself because, like you said, everyone wants to build a to-do app. Everybody has their own unique styles of working, and none of the existing tools match perfectly with what people want. And so there's tons of tools out there. So what was motivating you? What did you not like about existing tools and what did you want Workflow to do better? So basically I had this in like 2000, it was a long time ago, 2008, I think. I was like knee deep in this job that was really complicated. And I was basically the person in part charge of business development for a nonprofit tech company that was trying to do decentralized video. It was like a, it, it's kind of like an activist project and they were trying to figure out like, how do we make money? Is there a way for us to make money in a business sense as opposed to like raising money from donors, which is what they had been doing. We had like 4 million active users. And so there was an audience and we were trying to figure out what are the different ways you can monetize. And there were like 30 different legitimate things to explore like avenues, each of which would, you know, like have a department at a real company or whatever. So everything from like selling independent, it was a video thing. So selling independent films to advertising, to customizing the, um, and selling the software itself to all other people who distributed video, just like there, there were many different avenues to explore. And each of them was really complicated. And I was just kind of cycling through 
project management to do note-taking apps, trying to keep track of all the complexity and getting really overwhelmed. And so I kind of was like going over everything, everything, everything. And, and the thing, I started using like word outline mode. And I was like, this is kind of the best, but I just, I need it to be able to zoom in. I this was just like, I need to be able to, in Basecamp or in any of these other tools, like they have a set structure and there's always comes a point where you have a to do that's like, you know, like make marketing proposal. And then they're like, okay, well, I want to like write out the ideas for that marketing proposal, but I can't do it inside this to do like it's it's in this to do it needs to be there so basically i just had this sense that like i needed something fractal and and like that went in forever and then like having used the outline mode i was like oh outlines are useful so this idea of like combining the what i knew was like this need for a fractal thing with like an outliney thing and the first version of workflow i built actually didn't look like an outline at all it was like like more of a standard task list type thing that had it kind of looked like the Mac Finder with columns mode. I saw a screenshot of that online. Yeah, it was just like columns, and you click on like each row of a column, and it opens up another column to the right. So you can kind of zoom in, but it was just different. It was different, and it was pretty cool. And like, actually, um, do you know the company Newscred? No, I don't. So it's like a big company in New York. They're like a media company. Um, they have hundreds of employees. My friend Shafka started it right when I was first working on Workflow, and he he used that version of workflow with like the columns to kind of like start newscred which is hilarious <laughs> that's cool uh, he's the only person who like used that he was i'm user number 1 he's user number 2 and he's the only person who used that version of workflow ever so he must have liked it if he started his company with it or was he just doing that as a, a favor to you no no he was using it legitimately himself i mean he didn't it didn't have collaboration at that point so he was using it as like a private kind of project management task management tool yeah, he liked it a lot. That must have been pretty inspiring to have somebody who was really using your tool. How seriously were you working on Workflowy at the time? Yeah, so I basically it was like November of so October of 2009 I quit my job because that job was kind of impossible. I like I loved the people and I'm still super good friends with all of them, but it was just this job where I felt like I was failing because it was like, okay, none of these business models are basically working out, you know? Like none of them seem like they're viable. Anyway, so I quit my job and I was like, okay, I'm going to go full on for with Workflowy. And so it was kind of like like four months or so of just like solid working on the product. And I had I kind of had a prototype that I had been using before I quit that job. And I quit the job thinking like I'll work on Workflowy, but really I just wanted to start something. This kind of segues into Mike and like recruiting my co-founder and stuff. Do you want me to go into that or should I? Sure. I mean, today you're working on Workflow with Mike, but how long were you working on it before Mike came into the picture? So, I mean, so basically since I started playing with it in 2000, before I even moved to Geneva, I started like, I'm going to learn to code so I can build this thing. I'm going to like action. So probably it was 2008 that I started working on it, like a little bit, you know, I mean, it's really slow when you're like learning to code to make something. So it's 2008. And then in 2009, like early 2009, I started doing a lot of work on it. It was in like June of 2009 that I started like really working on it. I think I was in Berlin at the time, like working out of the SoundCloud offices. How did you end up meeting Mike and deciding to work together? Beginning of 2010, basically. So it was like like nine months after I really started working on it. I had something I really liked. I had a couple people who were using it and really liked it. And I was like starting to go insane. I remember reading... 
I think it was like Naval had just launched Venture Hacks or something. He hadn't just launched it. I had just discovered it, rather. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I had just discovered Venture Hacks. It was like end of 2009. And I was reading voraciously all these articles and Hacker News and all this stuff. It was like the... It was like the, the dawn of the era of like entrepreneurs writing st- like honest things on the internet about about it, about starting businesses. And um, like both Venture Hacks and just Paul Graham's stuff was like, find a co-founder. Like you're be crazy if you don't find someone to work with, right? Plus I was having the sense of like, oh, I'm like a very beginning programmer here. <laughs> like I can't, like I'm running in circles a lot. I have no idea what I'm doing. So I was just like, okay, you really need someone who's actually a good programmer to work with me. And I'm just going to go insane working on my own. So I just emailed two friends in probably December of 2009. And I was like, hey, uh, I want to start something. Do you want to start something with me? And one of them, one of them was like, oh, I just started something with another friend. Um, and I, these are two friends who I knew were technical and who um, were not working. Had just left their jobs, and uh, and the other one was Mike, and he was like, "Yeah, this is a good time." I was just starting to think about like what's next. So, Mike, I knew from college. We lived in the same dorm, and we'd kind of been friends for a number of years since. So we met probably in two thousand two. But we weren't like super close friends. We were just like friendly, and we had in the same friend group, so we'd see each other out and see each other at other people's houses and we'd chat and catch up and like, Oh, what's been going on for the last few months or whatever. And then he just said, yeah, it sounds good. So we got on the phone and I talked to him about workflow. And he's like, not interested. Let's work on something else. So we like started working on other brainstorming other ideas. And we settled on a general area that was very different than workflow, which was basically helping like self-help gurus promote, like build, ways for other people to follow their advice like through an app so basically if you write a book saying like here's how you start your business or here's how you you know get six pack in 100 days we basically have like the actions that you're recommending people doing and a way for them to track whether they're doing it and a way for you like you to engage with the community of followers and um all this like encapsulating people's advice in an app so you know if you published a book the idea was it would come with an app and a website that would help people actually do what you're suggesting they do. Interesting. That was the idea we were going to work on and we were starting to work on it. And then I was like, we're going to apply for YC. And Mike was like, he wasn't super psyched about that idea. And I just kind of, he wasn't against it, but he was just like, whatever. So I just applied for YC. I also decided at the time I was living in Geneva, Switzerland, because my wife, my now wife, girlfriend at the time um, was living there. And I decided I was, I needed, if I was going to start something, I like needed to, move back to San Francisco and be near Mike if we were going to work together. And then once we got into YC, it was like, oh, actually, I think I already had moved back at that point. So, so yeah, I guess YC didn't fit into the picture. I just knew I had to be back and I wasn't super happy in Geneva. Why weren't you guys working on Workflowy? Why wasn't Mike excited about the idea? Because it seemed like it's something that you'd poured a lot of time into and had some some preliminary users. I mean, I, I actually only had a a couple of users. It wasn't like I had a lot of validation at the time. And I think Mike's reasons were pretty, like the same reason that I thought it was like a throwaway project kind of like in, or I was rationalizing to myself that I didn't think it was a big deal is because everyone thinks that they have like the next big idea for how people organize themselves and how you keep track of your information and stuff. Right. So it's like, I don't know. And then he's also just, he's like a, a guy who uses simple tools where he's like, I'm happy with the text editor. I'm not like trying to find the 
next new weird thing. But, but I think that's basically why. He just, like, he tried it. He was like, I'm not that excited about this, you know? And in the area also was an area that he found very uninteresting. Honestly, like, the rationale, like, makes sense to me like, for why he didn't <laughs> want to work on it. So that's, so I didn't exactly fight it. At the same time, I kept working on it. And I eventually, you know, like, kind of, it, it is what we ended up working on. So I, I had conviction around it. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like it's a tool that you were making for yourself more than anybody else. At least yeah. you wanted to keep working on it, which is kind of cool because it gives you a lot of insight as to how good the tool is. You know, you're eating your own dog food, which is some of the most common startup advice out there. But anyway, I'm really interested in hearing about your experience with the Y Combinator. Were you at all nervous about getting in? Yeah, I was nervous, but I think I was pretty confident we'd get in. And how was the experience of actually going through YC for you guys? What did you think about it at the time? So I have like two somewhat they're not contradictory but like different angles on what it was like doing YC. one was that it was like really un, un, unpleasant because they basically hold your feet to the fire and they're like you have to accomplish something right and then paul graham is just really frank i mean he's not in charge anymore but he's he was just like i think this is a terrible idea <laughs> he's like, really frank he was just like i thought you guys were great at the beginning of this of YC, and now I think you're idiots for working on this. <laughs> and like, he'd be like, I've seen a million online collaborative whiteboards, you know? And yeah. like, this is not going to go anywhere. And, and uh, like, what makes you think you can do this better? There's no like special moment for this or whatever. Yeah, Paul Graham can be pretty frank, and it's really helpful at times, and it's also like really soul-crushing at times. I remember he told my co-founder and I that one of the ideas we pivoted to was the worst idea ever, and that they always reject companies who apply with that idea. So that was rough. But anyway, what were some of the uh, the good parts of YC for you? I think I don't think Workflow would exist without Y Combinator, and here's the very but that's one part. It wouldn't exist, and no one would know about it without Y Combinator. So the reason it wouldn't exist is because Mike and I were like entered Y Combinator with this idea, and we were halfway through. About I think like almost immediately we realized that the original idea wasn't. We didn't want to work on it because it was too dependent on these on the basically the the publishers and the self help gurus who were. The people who were gonna basically like be you know writing the advice and publishing something like and building like an app with our thing, but you know we did a talk with Tim Ferriss and we talked to a couple of other people who just did who were the kind of people we'd want to target and we realized that they just wouldn't weren't gonna care they were gonna be those kind of semi invested people who you'd have to be fighting to get their attention and then all your promotion would depend on them and and all your content would depend on them and you just would have no ability to independently you know, you basically wouldn't be in control of your own destiny is what it felt like. And, I, you know, it's kind of a two-sided marketplace where, like, one party, not us, was in charge of both like, sides. We're like, okay, this doesn't feel like a good idea. And then we were floundering around, just experimenting with different things. We played with making a bunch of Facebook apps, and we played with a couple of ideas. But as soon as we decided that wasn't a good idea, I think I started kind of lobbying Mike to start working on Workflowy because a couple people in YC had started working on Workflowy I started using Workflow and they really liked it. And they're like, oh, here's what needs to change about it. Here's what's good and here's what's annoying. And I was like, oh, this is further validation. And we have nothing to, to work on right now. And the other thing was Mike had started using it. And he was kind of like, oh, I see how this is cool and how this is different. And at this point, I had already written rewritten it to look like a piece of paper and to work like an outliner as opposed to the columns thing. And so basically, we switched halfway through YC and actually didn't even tell... There's this thing at the time called Angel Day, I think, like Angel Demo Day. Yep. I don't think it happens anymore, but um, 
we actually didn't tell anyone we were working on workflow in YC until we gave the presentation at Angel, like the Angel Day, where we were like presenting workflow. And like everyone in YC was like, we've never heard of that before until you just presented it to everyone else. <laughs> and we were like, we were like, yeah, sorry. Or, so, sorry you know, about whatever. that. Yeah. Were, um, were they excited or were they upset? No, they weren't upset. It was just kind of, I think, funny. I think they thought it was funny. No one was, yeah, no one, no one was. No one was upset. They're like, oh, at least you're working on something. You've been kind of doing like, do you like cats or dogs better apps on Facebook for a couple of weeks now? Seems <laughs> like nothing can be worse than that. Yeah. Um, I think one of the cool things about Workflowy is it's like super innovative and super compelling because you invented something that was completely new. I mean, there were other outliner tools, but none of them really looked like Workflowy or worked like Workflowy. And I think having that extra step of having to teach people how to use a product kills a lot of companies, but it kind of worked out for you. I mean, it took Mike a while, but he eventually came around and decided that, hey, this is pretty cool. And people in your batch also realized that it was pretty cool. And I even remember reading like a review from years and years ago about Workflowy where somebody called it basically the best note-taking and organizational program that they had ever come across, which is pretty high praise. And I felt similarly when I first used it too. So I'm just curious, like what makes workflow is so good and maybe could you describe it for people who've never used it yeah totally so before i do that i, f- I forgot the second part of the, the question uh for the yc thing is that we would like we're not people who promote um things and i'm not a marketer so i i would like to be but like but if workflow had never gone through yc we would have had three users right right and they would have kept using the product and they would have eventually maybe stopped but like once we launched what yc just gets you on Blah, on, on TechCrunch and Lifehacker, basically. So then, like, on day one, we had, like, 10,000 people using it, and they didn't stop using it. And we're like, oh, maybe maybe this is real, <laughs> you know? Like, <laughs> otherwise, before we had a couple hundred people using it, but it didn't feel like... It wasn't obvious to us that it was an opportunity, but then once we had a much larger number of people using it, which we would have never gotten... I never would have even emailed TechCrunch, you know? I would have just been... Uh, that's a, It's a character flaw of mine, you know? So that was huge. Just like that alone, like made the, uh, an enormous difference. Um, anyways, pitching Workflow is probably my greatest weakness. Um, <laughs> but Workflow, so Workflow is an application people use to organize all the information in their life and their work, and it becomes kind of their hub. It's open on average for eleven hours a day, which means people just have it open. It's like Gmail. People have been using it on average, like our average active user has been using it for like almost three years, wow. like two years. So, which is a testament both to, you know, how useful it is to people, but also to like, you know, if we were growing super fast, um, that would not be true. What it actually is, it's basically like infinitely recursive bulleted lists. So bulleted lists where you can just dive down into any section and focus on that. Um, and that it basically means you can have a huge pile of information that is manageable at a human scale where you can slice it to see one part of it. You can also do tagging and searching um, so that you can just slice down your huge pile of information that hopefully has everything you know, from all aspects of your life. And then just see the one part that you need to see and, and have it be kind of just easy to mess around with. I think what's really special about it is that it lets you create it, that's one part of it is this it lets you focus but the other thing is that it lets you create structure in a really low friction way so when you're using workflow you just kind of by default create some structure and you don't really have to think about it because it's bullet points but at the same time like all other apps do for you like all the apps that are special crms or whatever 
they're basically letting you create a structure. They, they define a structure for you, right? Like, oh, your like, leads go in here, and then when they're, when they're moved to this thing, you, we move them into this other, you click a button and you move it into this other list. Basically, like, most software is like lists and like moving stuff around lists and responding to when things move into different lists and different categories in some, in some sense. And what we do is basically let people like define software for themselves that like works exactly how they want, that has the structure that's perfect for them and for their unique, you know, situation. So I think that's kind of what is really special about the product and, and also what partially what makes it hard to really grok is that people have to say like, oh, I have to figure out the right structure for myself. Uh And like, in addition to entering content, I have to be thinking about structure and thinking about Oh, how do I organize this? But you don't have to, and that's also structure just kind of happens as well. So that's that's cool. I think the first time I used Workflowy, I got it instantly after I created a few bullet points and zoomed into one, and then it, it kind of you know took over the entire document, and that bullet point was now at the top level. So I was like, oh, okay. So this is like an infinitely deep outline where I can put literally all of my information in this one document, and it'll never be too much because you can always zoom in and zoom out which is really cool because then you can organize things and reorganize them really easily. Unlike in Google Drive or something where if you mess up your folder hierarchy, like you're never going to go back and fix it because it's too much work. But if everything's in one document, you can easily copy and paste it. So uh, it's super cool, and I understand why it really resonated with some people and fit into their working style in the way that other tools never did. So let's, let's go back to your story at YC. You might, might not remember this because uh, I barely remember it myself, to be honest, but I think we actually met briefly way back in 2011 at the YC headquarters, because you did, I think you were summer 2010, right? I was winter 2011 with another app called Task Force. And I think you and your co-founder, Mike, may have come to my class's demo day. Do you remember coming to that or am I just making that up? Yeah, yeah, you know, I remember, um, I I came to the demo days back in the day, for sure. Yeah, I remember talking to you guys. And I think one of the cooler things about Workflow is that you guys never raised money after YC. And today it's like, now it's, increasingly common to just start a startup without raising. But back then, everybody wanted to raise money. And I remember meeting you guys at YC because you guys were some of like the few people who just didn't seem to care about it. And I also met Kevin Hale from Wufu, who came to give a talk at one of our YC dinners. And I was blown away by the things that he talked about and how successful they were and how they also didn't care about doing the con- things like the conventional way. And also the Basecamp guys kind of stood out back then. So I'm curious what was driving you and Mike to go it alone and be independent and and not really care about raising from investors. So I think there were a couple of things. One was that I don't investors like we did talk to some. We spent a couple of weeks talking to investors after YC just because it's what everyone did, and no one was interested, you know, because what we were doing was weird and hard to explain, and it hadn't launched, so we didn't yet have like lots of users. I think if we had started raising like a day after we actually launched we would have had success but so so we kind of did try is the answer like in the beginning just just because we're like okay i guess we should do this like everyone's doing it we didn't really want to but we just felt pressure to and then kind of the further along we got we were just like i don't like authority and i don't like the idea of having bosses who aren't me you know so like that's kind of why i didn't want to raise money and also it, it it's all the stuff that people say about you know it like reduces your outcomes um, the scope of your outcomes a lot. So like, you know, if you raise money at a whatever valuation, it means you're like the minimum at which if you sell it, 
at that exact evaluation, like it's a failure. That's so if failure. you sell for 10 yeah, million, you raise it. it 10 million, you sell it 10 million. It's like a huge failure. Um, and it's, it, yeah. So basically like that's, that's one of the big reasons, like basically not having a boss and like minimizing your, the range of your possible outcomes. So the downside about not raising money is, is that you have to make money on your own, right? You're still living in, in San Francisco or the Bay Area. You're still paying probably ridiculously high rent. What did your financial situation look like at the time? And how were you guys surviving? And were you charging for Workflowy? So this is, this is, this is one of our big areas of, um, one of the biggest issues between Mike and I in the early years was, so he was like post-Google and he, he made tons of money at Google and he had all this stock. And I was post working at a nonprofit and basically I spent all my money paying rent. And then my wife, my girlfriend at the time basically just like was paying rent for us. But we had enough users and they kept telling us they wanted to pay us. So like after a couple of years, people started paying and it was pretty early on. Like we had, we had significant revenue, like pretty quickly people were willing to pay us. So it was enough to pay rent and stuff. So basically like we get, we just got really lucky in that we never did marketing and people would just write about the product because they loved it. And we got a couple of really big people writing about it. And then we'd get, we'd have a lot more users and then people use it for 11 hours a day. So other people see it over their shoulders and then they, they're like, what's that? That's weird. That's cool. I'm going to try it. And then, so basically we've, we've just been very lucky in that the business has supported our pretty laissez-faire and lazy approach. Um, <laughs> it's like entirely product. It's just entirely product oriented. Yeah. That's really cool to hear about. I'm curious about, the early days of living with really like no funding and, and kind of just having your girlfriend pay for things and, and trying to charge, like what was that process like of first putting a price tag on Workflowy and how many people signed up to pay initially? Yeah, we, um, well, I mean, let me look at uh, our graphs, but basically you guys started charging after you launched, right? So like this influx of 10,000, we started charging like, Two you two years after we launched, I think it was like oh, okay, so much yeah, much later. It was like mid twenty. This is like after I'd spent all my money. I was like, Mike, we need to start charging, and it just was like wasn't <laughs> on his radar. And I was like, please. And he's like, okay, fine. Um, anyway, so it was just like what we did was we we're just kind of wimpy people, uh, and so what. <laughs> we did was like, we're going to grandfather everyone who's, we're going to set a usage quota, which is 500 bullets a month you can add for free. And then we're going to email everyone who would was above that in the last few months and say like, hey, we're going to launch a pro thing. You can have it for free, but please pay us anyways, you know? <laughs> and in the first day, like, like almost 30% of the people we sent that email to signed up for Pro, and so we were basically immediately making like a decent amount of money, and it was just clear that people like wanted to pay us. They like wanted to support us. They wanted the product to get better and to survive. So it was stressful, and like for me, it was. I mean, honestly, for Mike, I don't think it was stressful. Like not having making money from the product for me, it was stressful because I'd spent all my money. <laughs> so like, but then like once that happened, I think it was clear that there was. This is a real thing. Why did you guys uh, go for two years without charging? I'm like, what was your game plan? Did you feel like you were going to get millions of users? 
honestly, it was, it was just like, whenever I brought up the conversation, it was just not, it didn't feel like it was a priority for, well, first, I mean, first of all, there was a period where we didn't have enough users that it would have made a huge, it would have been like a lot of money. So basically once we got to the point where, where it's like, oh, now we have like a lot of users and we could probably, if we think about how much we could make, it probably would be meaningful. Then it became the question of like, for Mike, it wasn't a priority. He was just thinking like, oh, let's, all that matters is getting a lot of users and they're willing to pay us, we'll make money. And then for me, it was a priority because I didn't have any money. So it was just like a matter of talking about it together enough that he understood where I was coming from. Like, oh, I, we had this conversation where he's like, I didn't realize you spent all your money. Like, I had no idea, you know? So like that, like, <laughs> having those conversations, which is actually, I don't know if you want me to throw in advice, but like, one of the biggest things I would suggest people do if you're starting a new thing with, with any other humans is have like a weekly structured conversation where you bring up any issues that, that haven't been resolved because issues that fester, like something small can become something big and like an accumulation of lots of small things becomes like a terrible relationship. So basically have a weekly conversation where you're like, is there anything that's bothering you? Is there anything that hasn't been addressed? And just like, deal with it. And if it turns into a big fight, like get some third party to, to help you figure it out, whether it's some, some person you will trust or like a paid coach or whatever it is, because like, that's how we didn't end up charging people. That's how I ended up spending all my money with it. Cause he didn't even realize that I was spending all my money. You know what I mean? Like, like there just wasn't any communication. I mean, there was communication. It just like, it was kind of like, if you're, you're really focused on building this thing together and then every once in a while you kind of like slip in something that's really bothering you, like you try to slip it in and it's not even heard because everyone's distracted and everyone, you know, like, so we're communicating constantly about the product and about thi- lots of things. But there's like this one thing that I'm like, you know, I'm a little ashamed about it because, you know, like, oh, I didn't have that much money to begin with. And like, so, so yeah, I would just say like, I, I my sense is that like, relationship issues are one of the biggest things and that biggest issues with companies. And I, I mean, I know that from talking to tons and tons of people, um, it's just that like co-founder relationships are really difficult. And I would just say like marriages, like the ones that work are the ones where you address the issues, small issues before they become big issues. So like have a process where every week you're just like, is anything wrong? Let's deal with it. Yeah. I'm, I'm dating like a, a relationship therapist and she's taught me so much and like about exactly what you're saying. That's crazy to hear. And I know that you and Mike, uh, I listened to Mike's Mixergy energy interview from a couple years back and he talked about uh, some of the challenges that you guys had as co-founders and how you guys ended up going to a relationship therapist. Yeah, like a couples therapist, not even like a business coach. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which is like, I think a really smart idea because the problems are the same. I mean, you have this thing, you have this relationship that's just as close, you know, or almost as close as like the relationship between a married couple or or parents or something where you've got this startup that you're working on and it's your baby. You know, it's the thing that that matters to you most in life, except unlike everything else in your life, this other person has a say and what goes on. So, you know, I totally agree with you that that people don't talk enough about co-founder relationship issues because every startup that I've ever started with somebody else, there have been blow up screaming fights, (laughs) you know, at least at least one. And now I'm working with my brother where We've been doing that since we were kids, so it's like no big deal. It's super easy to recover. But anyway, on the Mixergy interview, we got to kind of hear Mike's side of things. Or he, he talked about the differences between you and how you were kind of like 
really focused on moving fast and you didn't really, you were a little bit more risky and he was like a lot more risk averse. I think it'd be interesting to hear kind of your side of that, of that conflict as well. Like what separates the two of you and what was hard for you about working with Mike and how did you guys resolve things? Yeah. So, I mean, so a lot of the things that were difficult are similar things that are difficult with my wife, to be honest. So it's like funny for me to see like, oh, it's not just them, you know? Like, like one is, is both that I, I like to, that I am impulsive. Like I would say I'm impulsive and Mike is the opposite of impulsive. Right. So like Mike is extremely deliberate and like, and I'm probably not deliberate enough. Like Mike is too deliberate. I'm not deliberate enough. So I just want to like think of things and do them and try them. And Mike wants to think about them probably longer than he needs to, which we've both talked about this. Like we both agree that that's overall probably true um, for both of us. So that's part of it. And so that's like a bigger picture strategy thing. But I think almost as big a part of it is just like working styles. So I always just wanted to talk about what I was thinking about. And then Mike, and this is this is the issue that I have with the same issue that I have with my wife is that, which I'm sure she'll really appreciate me talking about on my podcast, <laughs> which is that I just, t- I have an idea and I like, just want to talk it through. Whereas being a deliberate person, you think like, oh, this person is talking to me about something. That means they want to do it. Or it means I have to really think hard about this. Whereas I'm just going to talk about like 30 things a day, half of which I don't even think are good ideas. I just want to like think it through, you know, just, just throwing, throwing stuff, stuff out there. there. So for Mike, he, he had this, he, a, he like, so he's like an intense programmer. He wants to kind of be, here's what we're doing and I'm going to do it. And I'm going to like, focus on it super intensely and also he's working on technical hard technical problems so he needs to kind of have his be in the zone and not be interrupted and there's this dude interrupting him every half an hour to talk about some stupid idea so that's i think that was a, honestly a huge part of it where i'd be like hey should we this should we that hey what do you think about this what do you think about that and him just being there like okay like thinking 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 oh think person talking to me again like what the like let me work you know <laughs> stop stop yeah, interrupting yeah me. exactly so i think that was a big part of it and then there was there's also just like working styles like i really wanted to work together in a sense of like like i love pair programming is a good example i love looking at the same screen as people and doing things together and he doesn't he just likes to be in his own world and think really hard about things and he makes he's brilliant and he makes great decisions but he and so it's like I can't fault him for that. But he doesn't like to be working in real time together. Basically, you know, um, he likes to like talk about things ahead of time and then go apart and like do the things you talked about individually. So it's just like working style things, both being interrupted all the time and that difference around how you want it to work day to day. And it just led to us feeling, I think, both of us feeling very kind of neglected and and leading to conflict because like when. Cause just cause like, you know, our needs weren't being met. And so I would kind of bring up stuff over and over again in this, in the way I would be just kind of like pushing at him a little bit, you know, because I just like wanted that interaction. Like I'm an extremely extroverted person. I just wanted the interaction. And then he would be frustrated because I would be taking him out of his flow slash giving him ideas that he's not even sure if he has to really think about or not. You know, does that, I mean, does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. I mean, you're describing anyone who has like any sort of close relationship with somebody has some ways in which they're different and they're going to rub up against each other and they're not going to be able to talk about, or they, or they might you know neglect to talk about exactly how they're feeling underneath. And it's so easy to misinterpret what the other person's doing and 
sometimes just listening to how the other person feels without getting defensive or fighting back is going to help to make them feel a whole lot better. Yeah, and it's super hard to do that, especially when you're implicated in like making them feel bad. It's just really hard to hear, like, oh, I've done something that makes someone else feel bad. Yeah. So yeah, so that, so that's, and then I think basically like so th- those are the dynamics, and then the fact that we never really dealt with them was the problem. You know, I think all those dynamics were fine, and then they just built up to this point where we went on this walk. I remember the walk like really vividly. We were working out of my friend's company and we walked to Dolores Park and we sat on this bench and I, I just remember Mike saying like, I don't think I can do this anymore. Like us being just kind of both of us being miserable and I was not thinking about like stopping, but Mike was just like, look, dude, this is like really unpleasant. Like we're just fighting. Like every time we talk, we're fighting basically. And it was like, oh yeah, this is really broken. So we need to, and then we went to therapy and it was helpful. We stopped therapy way too early because I was very feeling very petty pinching, you know, um, and it's you know it's not cheap. We should have just never stopped going to therapy. To be honest. <laughs> <laughs> well, do you think the tools that you learned in therapy have been helpful, like up until today? Because you were mentioning earlier about how to how to check in with each other and have conversations yeah, on a weekly basis. Yeah, it, it helped. It helped a lot. Yes, we went back as well. Um, yeah, later. So well. I don't want to spend the entire episode talking about co-founder issues, but I think it's really good to bring it up because, like we said earlier, there's a tremendous amount of advice out there that, that says you need to find a co-founder and that you'll be more likely to succeed with a co-founder. But it's important to look at the other side of the equation as well, which is that a tremendous percentage of companies fail because of co-founder issues and co-founders not getting along. So it's kind of a double-edged sword. And I know personally I've been in the situation a couple of times where a business I might have otherwise done well failed because of my relationship with co-founders. So one of the cooler things that I think you brought up earlier as well is kind of the metrics behind Workflowy. How long people use the app for like 11 hours a day and uh, how long they stay, like an average of three years. What, were things like that right out of the gate? I mean, like right when you guys launched on TechCrunch and, and Lifehacker early on, did you guys have a really high retention rate or did it take a lot of work to get to the point where people love the product and, and were loyal to it? So we've improved the number a lot, but, but basically for a long time it's been a business where like a small percentage of people actually get it, but then those who do get it basically never stop using it. So yes, it's been like that from the beginning and that basic dynamic is what, like the, you know, the number has gone up as we've improved the product. The numbers have all gotten better, but the basic dynamic has been there. And that's why we thought, that's why we were like, oh, this is a real opportunity. Because on day one, we had 10,000 people using it. And then like they were telling other people about it. And as people kind of dropped off, we were replacing them with new people just through word of mouth. And it grew, it was just growing on its own. So yeah, it's been a really high retention product from the, from the beginning. That's pretty inspiring to hear because like I've built a couple of productivity tools in the past too. And retention is so hard with productivity because you're essentially building a tool to get help people do work, you know, do things that are effortful, right? If you're browsing Facebook, it's fun. You're, you know, kind of addicted to it. But if you're putting tasks into Asana or you're making an outline and work flowy about things that you have to get done or other forms of work, then that's stuff that people might just fail to do all on their own, even if you built a great product because they lack the motivation and it's effortful. It's always going to be harder to sell health food than like tasty, delicious fast food. So it's pretty impressive that you guys have such a high retention rate and that you've been able to grow your user base like you have. What do your stats look like today? I know you guys aren't like perfectly transparent about everything, but just ballpark, you know, how much how much revenue are you guys generating and how many people are using Workflowy? 
we are we're like at about 800k in run rate um like right now we have over a hundred thousand active users which just kind of goes up but just like goes up slowly who 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 all is working on workflow is it just you and mike yes yeah, so, so basically that's the area that's in the biggest flux right now. So about a year ago, for a while, I mean, and many workflow users noticed this, for a while, like, not much was happening, uh, except for us, like, maintaining things and, like, doing infrastructure stuff as the product, as the user base grew. But about a year ago, I had, basically, I had twins, like, three and a half years ago. And I was like, okay, well, I'm going to take it easy for a while and, like, hang out with my kids and just do what's needed. But about a year ago, I was like, okay, I really want to make... I feel like Workflow is this huge, both something that I like really love and want to have a vision for and want to make it realize that vision. And also, it's just a huge opportunity that is mostly unrealized because it has relatively small... You know, it, it's like reaching just a drop of the potential people it could reach. And right. yeah, just everything is so so much smaller than I think it really could be. So about a year ago, I kind of had that realization and started talking to Mike about it. And then so basically over this, this current year, I have basically been like re we just started building the team and hiring people and doing stuff. So now I have three, it's me and I have two other full-time employees who aren't Mike and several contractors who are doing a lot of work. And we're just kind of, it's like we're ramping up and like starting and starting an actual, starting a startup. That's cool. That's like it's pretty exciting. It's uh, I think you guys are in such an interesting position because like 800k annual revenue is a ton. Uh, the vast majority of people I talk to aren't making anything like that with such a small number of employees. Uh, so you've got that going for you. You've got you know the freedom to work on basically whatever features you guys want to, whenever you want to, and obviously you know from wherever you want to. And you got a lot of diehard fans. I mean, you're not Tom Cruise, but people like Workflowy, and you, you guys have a following. So I'm curious, what is driving you? What do you want Workflowy to be? It sounds like you really want to grow, but like, what's what underlies that, and why do you want Workflowy to be big? Yeah, so I mean, so it's, it's it's kind of not like that. I want it to be big. It's kind of that. It's I think it's like the craftsperson's motivation, which is a. There's this thing I've made which I love, but it feels like it's you know, in a lot of ways at like 30% of what it could be. I just want it to be what it could be. And then there's this whole other angle, which is there's this thing. So, so like that's a huge part of it. So I just want this thing to be what it can be and to realize its potential. And I know there's all these people who love it and for whom it like changes their lives. And I, I would, I want that group to be a lot bigger. I know there's just a lot of people for whom it could be like a very important part of their lives and it's just, it's not right now. Not just because they haven't been exposed to it. I know for a fact there's like a ton of people. It's super common that someone tries Workflow three times, has no idea, and then someone shows them how to use it or they have some insight and they, they like are become a diehard fan. So I just know that we are, I just have like overwhelming anecdotal evidence that the opportunity is so much bigger than uh, what we've realized that it's, um, that's quite motivating. What are some of the things you want to work on and how do you plan to get bigger and better? There's a lot of angles. My main, you know, being very product oriented, like I, I would love to have to continue have a product that kind of grows itself. Um, my my sense is that the product is holding us back in a lot of ways, but also the fact that we've like never done any marketing or outreach or anything is um, 
also silly and that we need to have to do that. But my personal motivation, like the area I'm focused on, is how do we make the product um, stickier for new users so that they have like a higher percentage of the average new person who comes to our place. So we have like 20,000 new signups a month from only from word of mouth. Wow. And then, but only, so think about it. Like, so, we, so, but then like only like, you know, a few, like maybe a thousand of those people actually become real users, like long-term users. Right. Who use it for, you know, many, many months or whatever. So that's like 5%. What is, what do you consider a good percent of, of for retention? So for long-term retention, Retention, I'm not sure, but I just know that, like, you know, products that do really well do a lot better. And I know that most people who sign up, or not most people, but like half the people who sign up don't even like create a single bullet on the first day. So I just know that we're like failing, you know, in a pretty (laughs) profound way. So basically, there is this that's part of it is just making like making the the current product like more obvious how to use it. Um, And then there's just like lots of obvious things that need to be done. Lots of features people have been asking for years, like mobile being better and mobile having all the features of desktop, mobile being actually designed for mobile is like a a huge thing. Improving how collaboration works so that you can actually have a team that really stays synced by keeping all their information and workflow is a huge, that's like probably the biggest strategic thing. There's basically like make the product better. So like dates and reminders, mobile, all that stuff, all the stuff that everyone wants and, and all our, I mean, all our users want, and they've been telling us they want for ages. Um, just like getting product momentum and making the product better is a huge part of what I want to work on and what I think will make it stickier, as well as having new user experiences that are customized for all the different ways people use Workflowy um, and letting our users kind of create those experiences for, for other people. And then, yeah, the, the collaboration and kind of thing is just massive. Like, that's the biggest strategically important thing it depends on the product being great and but making the product so that when i open workflowy if you have wanted my attention on something it will draw my attention to that you know if you have something nested like 30 levels down and you're saying i want jesse's feedback on that you should be able to tag me and then the product will show it to me right and likewise if i want to just keep track on like some project i care about that everyone's managing in workflow i should be able to just like open the app and see it or get notifications or whatever. So it sounds like you guys have a ton of work cut out for you. And it's pretty exciting to listen to you list all these features because like whenever I'm working on something, I have this gigantic to-do list. And I've talked about this before that never gets smaller. Like no matter how many things I, I cross off that list and that amount of time, I've added more things that I want to do. And I'm sure the same is true with you. How do you prioritize? You know, how do you know what goes to the top of the list and how do you sort of figure out which of your team members are going to work on which things? Basically, there's a couple parts of it. One is reactive. So what do people, in terms of this is a prioritization, not about who's going to work on what. But part of it is just like, okay, we get a lot of feedback from people. We have a lot of really passionate users. They tell us what they care about. So like mobile being better is really obvious. I also just, one of the things that is wonderful about working on a consumer product that is actually useful is that you you end up having a lot of friends who use it. Um, so you get a lot of like, you get a lot of anecdotal feedback, right? And you can see whether that matches up with the feedback you're getting through official channels. But um, basically, we get a lot of feedback, and it's like, okay, this is obviously the stuff people care about and the stuff people want. That's one side. But then there's also like the vision part of things, which is like I have a vision for Workflowy, and I have an aesthetic, and I have all these things I I want because 
because I want them and because that's how I've always imagined it. Like I want Workflowy to be this shared, like a lot of people, probably a lot of our users like don't care about collaboration and Workflowy. Like they probably, a lot of them do. Like I know that for a fact, but I'm sure a lot of them are like, this is my private tool. I don't want to share it with anyone. But for me, like the fact is like, I've always imagined it being the way you can like have your brain and also share parts of your brain with other people. And so part of it is just, you know, like vision and, and like inspiration. It's like being an artist kind of like, Oh, here's this thing. Here's how I want it to work. So those kind of like mesh in, in terms of prioritization. So like if there are things where they overlap or I'm like, Oh, I've always wanted this. I like, I just think it's cool or whatever it is. And people are asking for it. Then it's, that's very, you know, it's, it's in some sense, it's like confirmation bias where I'm like listening to the feedback that people want that I want to hear from people. But, but like, it's almost (laughs) like, it's like those two things like play play against each other because I care a lot about what people think and what our users want. So one of my big things, like if I was to give advice to someone, a new person, is watch people, like literally watch people use your product, like either physically or via video chat, like just watch people use it. And it's hugely, you just get so many insights from, from doing that. And it gives you like a human, um, a human, a very human view on your product and all the ways in which either it sucks or is great and both of those. I just talked to David Darmanin, uh, CEO of Hotjar. I don't know if you've seen that product, but it literally takes a little recording as people use your product. So you can say, okay, I want to watch 2,000 people use my, you know, sign in and use it and it'll take a bunch of recordings and you can watch it. And it's not quite as good as sitting down with somebody in real life where you can kind of ask them about what they did afterwards or they can talk you through what's going on. But it's it's the same the same. Yeah, no, that, I, those products are great. Like that kind of product are wonderful. And I would definitely recommend people use them. So I think another thing that we haven't talked very much about is kind of like marketing and growth. Because Workflow has grown so far, it sounds like almost entirely through word of mouth, which is amazing. One of the things that I tell a lot of people who are just starting out is that they should consider picking a niche. And that way they can build something really valuable for a specific group of people. And that group is more likely to fall in love with the product because it's built just for them. And whereas, you know, the competitors' tools are built, you know, more generally. But for Workflowy, I feel like your product completely flies in the face of that principle. You know, it's not built for teachers or programmers or salespeople. It's kind of just like a general product for everyone. So I'm curious, like, who are these hardcore Workflowy users? You know, is there a pattern that you've discerned among them? Are you guys trying to discern that? Or is it right now just they could be anybody? I mean, I think think it's a... It's a very interesting, it's like a very interesting question. And I, and I think to some degree we have built a niche product, except it's not niche for any, for like a segment for a specific purpose. It's niche for people who like to work in a specific way and people who are smart enough to figure out how to use a general tool. Um, <laughs> or not smart enough, but you know. So I think that it's very smart to market to specific use cases. Um, like, the way Workflowy is used by like everyone from like piano teachers to the CEOs of public companies. So it is a genuine, you know, and people like, I'm not surprised when someone says, Hey, my mom just recommended Workflowy to me. Like that happens a lot. I, I think it does skew techie a little bit, but it's, it's still a very broad product that um, does appeal to a very wide array of people who would be kind of hard to, if you saw them together in a room, you'd be like, what conference is this? You know, um, <laughs> I'm very confused. But I think that our, 
like one of the biggest areas that I want to focus on in the future is making it so that you can essentially, if you are a piano teacher or you are a CEO of a big company who needs to manage all of their one-on-ones, or if you are a customer, a client facing a business that has clients and needs to move them through a pipeline, that you can come to Workflowy and and come to essentially a structure and a something that feels like an app that is customized for you. Because I do think that for, both for marketing and for onboarding, it is super important um, to show people how to use some the product for their own purposes and in a way that fits into their own life. I went to um, a conference last year, a big journal, the biggest like investigative journalism conference. I gave a presentation about along with some other people on tools. And then I had a breakout session where like 20 people came and the idea was like, how to create your hyper-personalized organizational system in Workflowy. And of those 20 people, all journalists, one person kind of looked at Workflowy and like checked out the site and tried the demo and, and had like their eyes go wide and say, oh, wow, I get this. I see how I can use this for everything. I can see how I can use this for this part of my work and this part of my work and this part of my life. And everyone else really needed to be shown how to use it for journalism and really needed to be needed specific had they all had the same needs and they all really needed to be shown and right now we don't do that and i think because of that we are missing out in a massive way so like like i was talking to one guy who's an investor who's like i use workflow as an example (laughs) like this is very non-self-promotional here um (laughs) as an example of like one of the biggest failures that I know of where they've just left so much on the table because they haven't done it. Like they have this product, which has this kernel of something amazing, but they haven't like done anything with it and they haven't promoted it and they haven't built it out to its potential. And, you know, the, and I, you know, I tell that because I agree with it and that's why I'm doing all this stuff now. And that's why I'm building the team. I was just saying like, I think that that, that advice is good advice that you give people, you know, like, <laughs> Like, I don't know, like for me, uh, I'm just like, my entrepreneurial story is like doing lots of things that, that I think are bad ideas and it working out, you know? Well, you use the product a lot because you built something that works very well for you. And ultimately, if that doesn't generalize to some well-defined niche or industry like salespeople, uh, that's okay because there's lots of other people out there who think like you do, apparently 5% of people, and you can figure out how to make it appeal to other people and other specific niches later on. And I totally like listening to you talk about the challenges that are happening. I feel super excited for Workflowy because it's there's so much low hanging fruit. It's not like you guys had spent ten years trying every single thing and nothing's worked. But you guys have done very little in some areas, like marketing, and still things are looking very promising. I mean, what we do, what we have done is put a lot of like we care a lot about the details of the product of the. I mean, about the interactions to be honest, of one part of the product, which is the part where you're interacting with lists. Like, you know, like lots of the product, like the settings, dialogues and stuff is is pretty terrible. Um, but that is the thing that we've spent all the time on, essentially. So like, what is the core value that we are creating? Like that's where we put all of our, our energy. So the things that Workflow does, it does really, really well. So I think... Uh, you know, other people besides me have recognized that Workflow is onto something, and you guys have a lot of competition. And I think it's one of the more interesting stories because I've never seen a product get cloned so many times 
and so directly as workflow. And a lot of the clones are crappy. Like usually when someone clones a product, there's, it's pretty there's crappy. There's a couple of really clones. good clones. So basically my thought on the, are you, do you, do you, did you want to finish the, I'll let you finish your question. No, go ahead. Basically, so like the thought on the clones is basically like we, we didn't do much for a long time and that is why clones exist because there's a lot of stuff that the product needs. And I think some of the clones are nice, but none of them get the details, I think, as right as we do. Most of them are focused on adding more features. And the biggest thing that I see with the clones is that they don't have, like I would say, is like, okay, they're not me. Like, they don't have the vision that I have. Like, I see them, I'm like, oh, here's one that did a nice job. That's interesting. And then I kind of look into it and I'm like, oh, like, okay, once this starts, once we start having product momentum, like, we're going in a different direction. Like we're building on, they're kind of adding the obvious adjacent things that are needed, which we will do, but they're not building into the future where like workflow is a tool that actually makes you smarter. And is a tool that helps you think through things in ways you don't know how to think through. And all these things that just kind of come out of who I am kind of, I think like they're just not, they're like a lot of them are non-obvious. So there, I think there's a lot of obvious stuff that could be added to workflow, which is good. And I'm glad that people are, are doing it. But they're also, when I look at them, there's two things. When I'm like, okay, that's not as polished as it needs to be, and it doesn't work quite as well as it needs to. And just the direction of this product is not is not as inspiring. Like, I don't see this product breaking out and, and being used by, you know, hundreds of millions of people. Right. Like, they don't, they lack, like, the vision that underlies all the decisions that you're making. Yeah, that, that's, that's how I feel about them. And, and honestly, it's both, like, really frustrating and really, you know, like, imitation, flattery, etc., so it's flattering, but it's it's frustrating and it is gratifying to me that we've been able to move into a mode of growth and investing in the product and investing in the company because, you know, otherwise the product would just eventually like languish and, you know, the, the clones, the war, what was the sequel, um, the Star Wars, like number two, Rise of the, the, the clones, clones, you know, are, the clones yeah. would win. <laughs> well, you can't let the clones win. And I think... I think uh, it's it's cool to hear your your take on it. I wonder, like, do the clones inspire you in a way? Do they kind of light a fire under your ass, or do you just ignore them for the most part? You know, I think they inspire like the new team members who join. Like, they it inspires them. But I'm like, I think they 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 upset me. But to be honest, <laughs> they they don't motivate me because I have like an extremely strong motivation without clones. Like, if we had zero clones, I would have the same level of motivation I have now. I'm just like. I am just like dying to make this thing that's in my head real in the world and, and just dying to realize what feels like this very tangible opportunity in front of me. Well, I think you're in a good position to do it. And, you know, it's an interesting situation because when you do something that's new and you're the first mover, you have the advantage that you get all the initial mind share. Like workflow is way bigger than all of these clones and probably will be for a very long time, if not forever. But at the same time, when you're the first mover, like other people are going to clone you. <laughs> it just happens. You know, there's not, no one has innovated in anything that other people haven't tried to clone. The last thing before I let you get out of here is I'm curious what your long term goals are. And I don't just mean with like workflowy in terms of making it the product that it can be, but I mean like personally. Like if workflowy tomorrow was the tool that you wanted it to be and it was bringing in people from all over and they, you know, you're doing a great job educating them on how to use the product and showing them examples, and it was just fulfilling all yeah, the goals. Yeah, we have like a billion people using it, and it's like on every desk, and 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 it's running every company, etc. So, some 
Yeah, so, so like my long-term goal is to be a mad scientist. Like very, very simple. So I want to solve like all the world's problems. You know, like, like this is like just like completely impossible <laughs> and completely crazy, right? Like I, I just want to be making stuff that makes the world better and also just making stuff that I enjoy making. So like the dream, if everything was crazy successful, would basically be to build more stuff and to focus on um, some pretty crazy ideas as well around making people happier, structuring society in a better way. Like it would be awesome by the time I died if I felt like I was part, like not necessarily started a movement, but it just was part of a movement or part of something that felt like, okay, this is addressing like the flaws of how our society works right now and is going to hopefully, you know, a hundred years from now, like people and animals and everything will be happier because of this thing we're all doing. Yeah. And I feel like that's what, honestly, I feel like that's what like most people want. Like most people would love to feel part of something like that as well. Right. But uh-huh. for me, it's like, okay, I would like to be in this position to be like a real mad scientist doing like large scale, crazy things, uh, testing that, those kinds of ideas. And, um, and yeah. Well, I really hope you get there and I would love to, to test out some of your mad scientist creations when you do. <laughs> Thanks a ton for coming on the podcast. Can you let people know where they can go to find out more about what you're up to at Workflowy and about you personally? Yeah. Um, so I, there's not a lot of information about me personally on the internet. I'm afraid of the internet to some degree, to be honest. Um, it's probably smart. And, uh, but Workflowy is workflowy.com and blog.workflowy.com is our blog and Google Workflowy. That's what everyone else does. Our search <laughs> terms are only Workflowy. It's like, it's nice. ridiculous. <laughs> Low hanging fruit, man. All right. Well, thanks a ton. It was great talking to you, Jesse. All right. See ya. If you enjoyed listening to this conversation and you want a really easy way to support the podcast, why don't you head over to iTunes and leave us a quick rating or even a review? If you're looking for an easy way to get there, just go to ndhackers.com review, and that should open up iTunes on your computer. I read pretty much all the reviews that you guys leave over there, and they really help other people to discover the show. So thanks a ton for your support. In addition, if you are running an internet business, or if it's something that you'd like to do in the future, you should join me and a whole bunch of other founders on the ndhackers.com forum. It's a great place to get help with pretty much any problem that you might encounter while growing your business, like how to come up with an idea or feedback on a product that you're working on. I try to spend a couple hours a day just answering questions and giving people feedback and getting to know everyone, so I really hope to see you there. That's ndhackers.com forum. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.